Welcome to A Pair of Bookends, the book club you can carry anywhere. We are your hosts and hopefully your new bookish pals. I'm Hannah MacDonald. And I'm Lydia Clare. We want to invite you to join us for our brilliant book club episode this month. Our book choice for February is the compelling new novel, Are You Happy Now? by Hannah Jameson, a riveting dystopia that will have you questioning everything. When the world begins to fill with people who just give up, the question is, how can anyone be happy when the choice is to feel anything or nothing at all? Hannah Jameson is the author of five novels. Her first was written at the age of 17 and later received a John Creasy Dagger Award. Her novel, The Last, published in 2019, was a Sunday Times bestseller and is currently being adapted for Netflix. Somehow, amongst writing for screen projects and publishing her latest novel, she has found time to join us today. So, Hannah, welcome to A Pair of Bookends. Hi, hi. Thank you for having me. (laughs) No, we're so excited to have you. Like, this is amazing. We've been really excited for this. So, yeah, thank you. We are so excited (laughs) that Hannah has already leaked that we have you on, on Instagram. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. Oh, on, on my post? Yeah. Oops. I mean, mm, yeah, sorry. You're Leaked, You're yeah. Sorry, I got excited, um, yeah. So, um, we always ask our guests, firstly, whether you mind sharing what you are currently reading or have recently read. Okay, um, well, I'm not currently reading anything um, at the moment. Um, I've started... Like I'm in that weird phase where I've started things and read a few chapters, but then just couldn't persevere with it. But a book I did read and love recently was um, A Restless Truth by Freya Mark, mm-hmm. um, which is actually a sequel to A Marvelous Light, um, which was, I'm not sure when it was released. Um, I bought it in paperback this year. And it's so fantastic. It's uh, a kind of magical queer love story that's kind of twinned with a murder mystery so it's, it's got this kind of magical adventure element but also like this queer love story and um, the second book has the same kind of formula but a different pairing and I, I love that kind of format I, I think it's fantastic and it's also not ridiculously heavy either so it manages to be moving but um without ever feeling like heavy or depressing which is really cool that sounds so good no I love that so obviously your book are you happy now um came out yesterday which is so exciting obviously on the day of recording it was uh, published yesterday how are you feeling firstly um I never enjoy this process ever (laughs) I wish I could say I wish I could say like oh I I feel so excited and oh I'm I'm like dancing around and stuff like that but you know this is my fifth book now I've lived Mm. 10 lifetimes in publishing this is like being (laughs) 100 years old um so my demeanor is basically that of like this really curmudgeonly old man who just like doesn't want to <laughs> engage with anything I think because I just find it I, I find it really quite excruciating and it sort of mm. it feels very exposing um and sort of it's lovely hearing like from people who enjoy it but then you also get infuriated because like you pick up on certain words people use and you're like oh mm. you're using the wrong words and yeah I, I just find it a very neurotic um like very uh like I find it personally just quite a difficult process to deal with for various reasons yeah I mean my friend is a writer and she says that like all the sort of 
publicity stuff that she's just landed a publishing deal and she says that like all the publicity stuff is like her worst nightmare like she would Mm. rather be like cocooned away with her laptop like not speaking to (laughs) anybody writing um then have to talk to people about her books <laughs> she's like can I not just hire yeah. somebody to do that for me I'm like no <laughs> yeah it, it is very much like that I think like like no one becomes a writer I think very few people become novelists because they're like exhibitionists and they're yeah. like extroverts yeah. and they're just desperate to be out there like networking um so yeah I, yeah it's, it's really um it's really nerve-wracking I think especially and if you're an introvert it's very draining as well like it just takes mm-hmm. a lot of energy um, yeah I, so, uh, yeah there's always it's always like it's such a it's such a relief to see it out but at the same time that there's, there's so many emotions around it yeah I am um, I also really loved um earlier you put on your Instagram story if you don't mind mentioning oh, no. uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly what you're referring to as well it's so funny it just oh, it, God. being an author is legitimately wild because you get to spend years writing an existential novel about contemporary romance relationships and life under late stage capitalism <laughs> and read people on the internet complain that it isn't a very good thriller with too much romance (laughs) I love it I love it because you see so many ridiculous reviews of books and you're like have we read the same book like uh... yeah it is it is like infuriating and like I'm not I'm not one of those people who will like you know there are I can't remember which author it was but you know that author who like stalked this reviewer to like a different city and like attacked them in a in a food shop or something I can't remember who that was but it did happen and and I'm saying I'm not like that I would never like (laughs) like respond so personally to a reviewer but sometimes you do read stuff and you think I just don't understand what you think you've read Mm. (laughs) because like having someone say oh you know it's like as a thriller it didn't really it didn't really work and and I'm just like it's not a it's not a thriller no and like yeah like the romance thing as well like the fact that you know someone said oh you know it was weird because like this romantic subplot took over the whole book I was just like that's the plot like that that is quite (laughs) literally the plot it's a romance novel so yeah I think it I think it's probably just because my last book was a thriller so I think potentially like a lot of people might approach this and just think I've written a a similar might just expect a similar novel yeah they're trying to box you off effectively aren't they like yeah like it is difficult when you're a writer who like ricochets from genre to genre Mm. because like I I can't say that I'm consistent in the types of projects that I write at all so yeah I have gone from you know a literal apocalyptic thriller (laughs) with crime elements to a sort of literary romance with kind of speculative um element so yeah I think it's probably just because there's a lot of preconceptions about what writers are expected to write and it probably comes from that but yeah I just um I just spend a lot of time thinking I just but it's a romance like yeah but <laughs> it's a romance you know I love that I love that yeah you're not allowing yourself to be tied down to like one type of style or genre yeah I think that's amazing so fuck those people <laughs> <laughs> No, no, it's fine. Like every, literally, everyone has their opinion. I think yeah. it's just 
me being like a person on the internet and yeah. you know you're always going to see opinions and just wonder where they came from and I, I don't think it was malicious or anything I think it's probably just like someone had a certain expectation of the book and it's just yeah. not remotely close to the genre that the book actually is yeah it's yeah it is interesting I, I could probably do myself a lot of favors by just writing slightly more what's expected of me but I simply cannot do that I'm no don't do that yeah don't do that we want to be surprised yeah absolutely ironically my next book is total thriller elements in it yeah I wouldn't describe it as like a thriller but I was like damn it but my next book is a really good thriller I I am so excited that you're already writing oh yeah I have already finished my next uh, um almost finished my next (gasps) wow pair of bookings exclusive Oh, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I haven't really talked to many people about it yet. But yeah, it is almost done and it's really good. So I'm really excited about it. Oh, amazing. So obviously there are so many things that we want to ask you about. But one thing that I was particularly interested in was I... I always love reading an author's acknowledgements at the end of a book. I really look forward to it. And I thought oh, yours, okay. yours were amazing. Um, <laughs> and I was particularly interested in you talking about the fanfic and AO3 community, um, mm-hmm. which is the writer that I referenced earlier, my friend. Um, she also writes for AO3 and fan fiction. And I've definitely been told by her about the the snobbish kind of the people that can be quite snobbish about that style of writing and stuff. I was really uh, curious whether this contributed to you starting out as a writer. Um, Mm -hmm. And if you could, could you just let our listeners know what fanfic and AO3 are? Oh, oh, this is interesting to try to explain to people who aren't in fandom communities. Um, fan fiction is just um, the utilization of existing characters to write original stories. So, you know, fan fiction isn't necessarily just what people write for free online. You know, it's also what people like Neil Gaiman write. It's also like, you know, the Odyssey is literally Greek god fan fiction. You know, there's so many, yeah, a- any writing that sort of utilizes existing characters to tell a different story, uh, that's probably how. I would describe it um and AO3 is um a website it's an archive it's like an internet archive where literally any anyone and the cross-section of people who use it are you know it's so broad I I know for a fact that like a lot of pro writers use it and also like aspiring writers there are like 12 year olds on there trying their hand at writing and you know it's I mean there are millions upon millions of stories in there and you know a lot of it is very maligned like it's certainly not every story is going to be for everyone but it's you know it's literally an archive you can search it like any library archive you search it by a very detailed tagging system you can search it by rating you can search it by characters you can search for you know you can search for Hunger Games, you can search for Buffy, you can search, you can search for anything. And uh and yeah, it it can be sometimes hard just from the volume of material to find stuff that you really enjoy. But I've read some works on there that were truly, truly life-changing. And there are writers on there who who aren't who aren't pros, but who I consider like some of the best writers I've ever come across. How they construct story and how they convey emotion, it's absolutely just mind-blowing. So yeah, I, I think like, you know, I've been writing all kinds of stories since I was a teenager. Um, and you know, AO3, I, I wasn't aware of AO3 when I was a teenager. I was like back in the in the days of stuff like fanfiction.net and uh, <laughs> like typing fan fiction directly into like forum posts and stuff like that, like really old, like <laughs> old stuff. Um, but yeah, like it's just a, you know, 
online communities are places where people can practice their writing and they're generally really supportive communities as well and you get really good like instant feedback as well and it's all anonymous or as anonymous as you want it to be so yeah that would be that would be my sort of explanation of it um but yeah I wouldn't say it's just for like anyone to kind of moonlight in it probably helps if you're like part of a fandom community like a diehard fan of something then then you'd really enjoy it I think I need to uh search up Grey's Anatomy fan fiction because (laughs) there will definitely be something yeah (laughs) I love that (laughs) I yeah I think it's it's a it's a a brilliant kind of creative outlet for a lot Mm. of people I think it's it's lovely that we have that option to be able to to uh use that and share stuff so so easily nowadays I think it's it's a a lovely way to communicate with each other I yeah, certainly I like agree. a bit of a fan fiction myself <laughs> yeah like I mean it's it, it's just fun like yeah. I think people forget a lot of the time it is just like fandom is just meant to be fun it's just a yeah. playground where you can like experiment with different stuff and it's not it doesn't have to be treated like published literature it's, it's not it's not mainstream published literature it's just people yeah. having fun online and writing with their friends you know about characters that they love and there's just something really like organic and and like cool about it that I don't know I, I just I've, I've spent my whole life kind of in and out of fandom communities so yeah it's kind yeah. of it, it doesn't feel that weird or scary to me but some people like really don't like it for some reason <laughs> well I have to say if I don't if I don't see some fan fiction of your brilliant and dynamic <laughs> cast of characters I actually I will be very disappointed because you know what that's when you know you've really made it like yeah the market of like cultural impact 100% if people are out there being like I'm gonna write you and Andrew fan fiction oh my god yes please I don't know how my publisher feels about that like I don't care like go out and like write whatever you want guys absolutely like 100% I mean they're so particularly the main four characters we're talking Emery, Yoon, Finn and Andrew they're all so dynamic so well written Mm, and the way that they what I loved is the way that they interact with each other um because it's filled with complexity yeah no conversation is just a conversation there's so much more to it so how was it creating this quite charismatic quartet Um, it was quite a it was quite a convoluted process actually because I usually find that whenever I write a book it's like it's it's basically a three draft process mm-hmm. so there's the first draft which I usually abandon about halfway through when I realize exactly what's wrong with it <laughs> and uh, then there's the second draft where in this case I think around second draft the book was still it still only had two main characters it was just about unanimity like Andrew and Finn didn't exist as as characters at that stage and it was kind of a more straightforward relationship story with the kind of speculative backdrop and the sort of capitalistic backdrop and then it began to occur to me that something was just feeling off about the world building and I came to the conclusion that you felt too isolated and you know as a as a Korean American character I found it weird that he didn't have any close Asian friends in New York City Mm. And it, and I thought like, <clears throat> it doesn't feel real to me. It feels like a kind of, you know, like old, old Sex in the City episodes kind of thing, right? Where New York is just like completely white. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, a, to- a token person of color just has all white friends for some reason. And I thought, yeah. well, that's not true of any 
any non-white person I know, any Asian person I know. So I thought, okay, like you, I do need to introduce like a wider cast of characters that you know aren't necessarily narrative POVs, but they need to have a presence in the narrative. So I, I thought about that for a few days, and then weirdly, I had about three chapters written of another project, um, which you know the characters were already Andrew and Finn, and it was these oh, two wow. men meeting in an art gallery, and it, it you know literally like as as was as is written. But I thought it was something totally different. And, and I just kind of looked at it and thought, God, the tone of this is actually really similar. And Andrew is already Chinese-Canadian. Like, are these two narratives, like, a kind of, do they belong together? So I wrote the third draft of the book, including Andrew's POV. Wow. And then just for the hell of it, I thought, you know, because Finn wasn't meant to be a returning character either, I originally planned it to be a one-night stand. And then I thought, well, let's see what his voice is like. And then it turned out really good. So I was like, oh my God, I've got four characters now. <laughs> so I just kind of have to see what happens because I don't know what the story is from like with the four of them. Mm. Um, so yeah, at first I was writing kind of Yunnan and Andrew's kind of trajectory as like more friendship jealousy, which mm. I think is a really interesting sort of emotion to explore anyway. But then Yoon's reaction started to feel quite like dramatic, even by his standards. <laughs> and I was like, why is he, you know, why is he so like hostile to this idea? You know, that Andrew has like formed this new relationship and discovered this amazing thing about his identity. And, and I was like, oh my God, is he just in love with his best friend? Like, oh my God, I think that's it. And it just kind of clicked into place. And I was like, oh, I get it now. Right. I get it. Yeah. Like, you know, it's it's one of those really old tales of just, He's in love with his best friend. Fantastic. I can write about that. Um, <laughs> so yeah, the third draft just went really smoothly. I, I finished it in about three months. Wow. Oh, oh my goodness. gosh. <laughs> I love that. And I and I loved, I am a big fan of uh, novels with like multiple perspectives. And um, I, I, wrote, I wrote it in my review online that like, you can read some novels with multiple perspectives where it feels like some of the characters are slightly underwritten. But with this, like, I just didn't get that at all. Like, I really felt like I knew these people. And as Lydia was saying before, like, they were so well written in all their, like, complexities and flaws. And I just, like, I fell in love with all of them. and I didn't want to, like, lose them. <laughs> I'm, like, sad that I had to leave them. <laughs> Yeah, I get what you mean. Like, I, I found it really hard to let go of them as well. Like, what a surprise. <laughs> they were very hard to leave behind. So it's really cool to hear that people are having the same reaction. Yeah, yeah. this and, is and why so we need to write fan fiction. Yeah, so I can have more. Yes, exactly. Like, oh my God, like if I could just write fan fiction of my own novel. Like, I mean, I, I, I presumably can. Um, I suppose that would just be like can. a sequel or a spin-off or something. Um, but yeah, I, I, I would wholeheartedly like like to see if other people have takes on the ending because you know that final scene between you and andrew really could have gone any mm. any way and i didn't really know how it was going to end that chapter specifically when i sort of got into it and i tried writing a few different versions but it just didn't like i don't know it didn't like click necessarily so i, I just went with what i'd written originally but other people may feel differently i'm not sure like other people may have sort of strong feelings about people who should have ended up together and yeah, I'd like I'd, I'd like I've, to hear them if people do. I have very strong feelings. <laughs> <laughs> Mainly at, at that scene, my book was thrown. <laughs> really? No! Oh my God. <laughs> 
but yeah, I mean, I'll leave our bookends to read it, but uh, I which which scene book. made you throw your book? The Andrew and Finn or Andrew and Yoon? Yeah, uh, Andrew and Yoon. Ah, uh, okay, okay. He opens his mouth to say something, and he already knew what was he was gonna say before he said it. And I was like, I know, and I was like, no, that wasn't what you were meant to say. <laughs> No, oh, like, he never says what he's meant to say. Like, I swear to God, no, yeah. No. But that's what this book does so well. Like, there are so many moments where you're like, there's just things that are unsaid, and you're like, you know how that character's feeling, and you're like, just bloody say what you're thinking, or like, <laughs> oh, the whole way through, I felt like I couldn't breathe. Like, there was so much tension. I was just yeah, completely on edge the whole time, and stupidly, like I read every night before bed. But how are you supposed to sleep when you write a book like this? Like, I don't... <laughs> it's impossible. <laughs> oh, that's so good. So I, I had written this question out um, before looking on your Instagram earlier in which uh, you, wrote, you wrote in your bio the books you've written and you put, are you uh, happy now? And in brackets, not a pandemic novel. So I apologize <laughs> that this question. <laughs> so I wanted to ask, um, you wrote, are you happy now during the pandemic? What was the novel um, inspired by or enhanced by COVID? Because it feels like, yeah. although you're saying it's not a pandemic novel, I feel like mm-hmm. there are certain like, I don't know how else to describe this, but like the vibes of the book felt like mm-hmm. the vibes of life during the panny day. Um, so the yeah, I w- <laughs> my friend like called it. Describe it up north. <laughs> my friend called it the panorama today, so I was like, I don't know which is better really. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I wanted to know um, whether it was inspired by or just sort of enhanced by the pandemic, if it had any impact at all, even. Um, yeah, I mean, I would say it, it definitely wasn't inspired by it because the, the sort of concept actually was started in 2019. Right. Um, so it was, yeah, it was started sort of before that kind of took over literally everything. But yeah, like finishing sort of drafting, especially like drafts sort of two and three, um, you know, draft three was written literally while I was just alone in my flat during lockdown. And I, I, I didn't see anyone for like weeks on end and um at some point I felt like I was going insane so yeah aspects of it were definitely enhanced by that experience Mm. um and it was also like I I think the reason I sort of preemptively say it's not a pandemic novel is because people just have a lot of preconceptions about what a pandemic novel is yeah and it's it's not a pandemic novel in that it's not you know people aren't catching a virus it's literally a novel about capitalism and living in a state of daily crisis and um you know there's a reason why I sort of start the book and I introduce this kind of epidemic of despair like mass despair and mass kind of suicidality is that the word Mm. and you know I wanted people to react as a as I see our society react to crises which is that it takes over the news cycle for a brief period of time when it's a novelty and you know it's all anyone talks about people talk about people sort of uh, identify the buzzwords and then after like you know a few months a few weeks 
if you're lucky, the news cycle just moves on, even though the crisis is still objectively happening. So yeah, there's a reason why I sort of introduced the crisis and then faded the crisis into the background of just how these characters were living, because that that's how I view every crisis is taking place in the last few years. It kind of, it dominates for a very brief period of time. And then people just, and then you realize everything about how we live is just almost a permanent state of crisis now. So yeah, I kind of, that was more the tone, like the vibes of the book were definitely inspired by that specific phenomenon. And I think you definitely get a sense of, as Lydia was saying before, you see how the characters are interacting with other characters and and their relationships and stuff, but you also get a big insight on how they are when they're alone, if that makes sense. Um, and I feel like you don't really get, it's rare for novels to do that. So I think you definitely got a sense of like you writing this in isolation, like you you saw these people as isolated people, but also the way they interacted with each other. I just thought it was so brilliantly done and definitely like the mood of the book was very much like how I felt during the pandemic, this whole like, what the fuck is going on? Just a constant state of anxiety. Yes, that. <laughs> like low level anxiety. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, yeah, it's yeah, the feeling that like all of these, you think your life is going to go a certain way and you think that society always kind of moves in the way of progress and it, it doesn't like these upheavals just show like how fragile everything about how we live mm. is. And, it, you know, it's it's no coincidence that the crisis that sort of changes Yoon's life most significantly is not the epidemic, the despair epidemic, the catatonia. It's just American healthcare. <laughs> Um, and how it like grinds people up and destroys them and that's I I don't want to like spoiler but (laughs) yeah there's a reason that it was that and not the not the crisis that's dominating the newspapers Mm. I I wanted to talk I mean this is again me just being selfish asking the questions (laughs) that burning questions I had I wanted to ask um about my my favorite relationship friendship in the novel between Andrew and you of course because I really feel like it's it was a real highlight for me just watching their kind of the complexity of of their emotions towards each other um and how that changed throughout was just absolutely bonkers I feel like you write from the male perspective really well as well like very clearly and some of the moments between the two of them were beautiful absolutely beautiful um what was it like to try and find their their voices um I mean they were both quite different I mean it it sounds like stating the obvious but they were just very different characters to write because Andrew Andrew I found very difficult to like I found him understandable but he's also very different from me I'd say like of the four Andrew differs the most from sort of how I deal with things and how I think and how he approaches just anything so Andrew was quite he wasn't as difficult to get to know as Emery but he was I don't know like he's very he's very thinker and yeah I mean just the way I don't know I don't know how to describe it but just the way he interacts with people is not is not how I manage to quite a lot of the time (laughs) Um, and I find him like very admirable and then Yoon Yoon was such a my god Yoon was just like a roller coaster experience because the book opens with him and it ends with him Mm -hmm. and I realized sort of towards the end of the novel like yes it's a main cast of four but Yoon is is the soul of this book like very much so and he is also I think the character that is 
most similar to me, which is a weird thing to acknowledge because I think he's an asshole quite a lot of the time. <laughs> he is a bit but, of an up. <laughs> yeah, but, but I have this like really deep love and sympathy towards him yeah. because I see so many of the tra- of so many traits that I don't have much compassion for in myself in Yune. Mm. Um, and I, I sort of looked at him and I thought, you know, if I'd if I'd experienced kind of one more failure or if or if I'd had one more upheaval or if I'd had a particular derailment, I could so see myself like being in his mindset. Yeah. You know, he's such a he's such an angry person. Mm. And I, I really relate to that. Like I also I also do think of myself as a very angry person. It's just mm-hmm. expressed very it's just expressed differently from how you expresses it. But I also kind of admire him as well. Like there are moments where I kind of I, I almost think, you know, I admire him for refusing to adjust, for refusing to be happy when he doesn't see anything in society to be happy about. Yeah. And I, I really, I really like that about him as well. Yeah, very complicated, very complicated person. I could definitely relate to him in the sense of being a creative, trying to make it and how like relentless it is and like how that sort of forms you as a person. And it feels like it takes over your identity if you don't quite mm-hmm. make yeah. it. So yeah, I felt like I could relate to him definitely, you know, in those moments of like bitterness and stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like, it's it, it's a really different, I think like, I'd love to see more creatives kind of talk about those emotions a little yeah. bit. Because like, you know, everyone is very, I don't know, I, I feel like the creative industries have this veneer of, of positivity, yes. which on the one hand is really nice because everyone's just super happy and super grateful to be here and it's just such a great experience but like Mm. there's there's kind of an unwillingness to talk about the aspects of it which are really difficult really exploitative Mm -hmm. um and really ruthless and and also just fucking irritating yeah (laughs) without sounding ungrateful or bitter or you know just trying to like be honest about the fact that it's not always this kind of transcendental like blissful experience but it's the fact that we have to caveat you know any vaguely negative negative talk with being like oh you know I'm not ungrateful <laughs> like but yeah, actually exactly. like the stuff yeah. that we have to put up with is bullshit like <laughs> so yeah, why shouldn't like, we be able to say that <laughs> no I agree like I would never like I'm not I don't know on the one hand like I'm not of course I'm not ungrateful for my yeah. career like I've been supremely lucky and like you know also lucky to have so many readers who've just enjoyed the books like mm. that's that's incredible um but yeah like yeah on the other hand there are aspects of it which are really exposing really hurtful and because when you're a creative as well and you've poured years of your life into something it it does feel personal yeah so like you know if you sort of it is hard not to take even the smallest things very personally I think there was there was um a bit in the book where you say I've got it quoted on my phone here which was how most people I knew that work in the arts felt during the pandemic which was any job in the arts was the canary in the coal mine when it came to the economy it's just like all these people that are just completely forgotten about and just abandoned Mm -hmm. and people think that their careers are totally irrelevant I just really felt that Yeah, yeah, it was definitely a reflection of how like, I mean, like to use, I mean, to use literally a direct pandemic comparison, I mean, during COVID, like the arts was just like put in the bin, Yeah, which is crazy, because like, you know, during lockdown, everyone turned to TV, everyone 
like read books like art, art is kind of what kept people going yeah. but you know self, self-employed self artists were given like were literally an afterthought just no support at all mm-hmm. um and I thought like that's such a you know your your work has so much value but your labor as an artist is so devalued yeah. um, and it's just yeah it's one of those really weird like paradoxes I think of like just working within this system it's it's really weird to see yeah so the novel does begin at a New York wedding which is where this almost domino effect global event occurs for the first time but why was it important for you for the setting to be a wedding as this at the start of something so catastrophic is it a wedding I don't know (laughs) I don't know like all that but like that's such a specific question and like there may have been a reason for it but my god like going back like two or three years I'm not entirely sure what my thought process was I think I think it was because I think it's because I actually quite enjoy rom-com tropes, um, <laughs> but I quite like to make them awful. So, <laughs> so I thought like, you know, it's really cute to sort of have a boy meets girl situation at a wedding. And then the wedding is actually the site of like this really awful kind of, you know, the beginning of this horrendous mm. epidemic that kind of changes everyone's lives. And also because like the couple, the couple who are getting married, who are like friends of the main characters, like they're like their kind of relationship is in the background of all of this as well and it's mm. the fact that all of this happened at their wedding and, yeah. and then the fallout from that it's it's just very interesting it's meant to be this really happy kind of hopeful joyous event but you know it's always the question of like what well, is it is it is everyone mm. you know is it this joyous event like I don't know oh no I, I, think, it, I think it went really uh well like plot wise as well because when someone does sit down at a wedding on the dance floor you do kind of think oh she's had too much (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah exactly you know or then you do conclude well uh, uh, all right okay she's acting weird she's obviously had something that she shouldn't have and then it's next oh well someone's probably psyched it so I think it it worked really well as kind of like you know something's wrong Mm. but you're not quite sure why and I thought it was just a a fabulous opening (laughs) yeah thanks because nobody could like, predict like how that was gonna turn out no. like, at all <laughs> no no not at all and like I think also just having like I don't know just thinking cinematically like having a big group scene especially like a party scene where the four main characters are all they're all at this event and they all have different perspectives and experiences of this event Mm. um so it's it's quite a pivotal moment you can always return to as well like I sort of returned to the wedding I think a couple of times like that night specifically and go sort of deeper into what different characters were feeling so yeah I think I think that's just like an enjoyable um thing to do it absolutely is I loved it yeah me too (laughs) I love and I love seeing the different uh, sides to the wedding you know you yes. see it from one shot in the first part of the book and then we get to see you know behind the scenes and then down a corridor and in a room and I think it's just it's just a great a great setting absolutely mm-hmm. um I think what I also really enjoyed about the book I say enjoyed the um it was the sense of kind of like apathy that a lot of the characters have about the world around them and how that kind of grows within itself. Um, also, how they respond to kind of like the capitalistic nature of, of the country that they live in. And mm-hmm. again, you were talking about about Jung, who ha- has at one point, he has an extensive bill that he has to pay. Mm-hmm. That is just devastating. <laughs> 
And unfortunately, you can see the reason why this becomes so much more important than anything around him in terms Mm -hmm. of, you know, the world might be coming to an end, but you've got to pay your rent on time. Yeah, Um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Which is what we all still had to do right and I think it's it's it was really interesting the way that you approached that what kind of role do you think that that kind of apathetic nature had in the novel and also um why did you want to make capitalism like more of a central theme oh um I mean regarding the kind of attitude of the characters I kind of I'm not sure I'm not sure apathetic is the word I'd use but I actually don't know what word I'd use in its place because I mean one of my friends who read it she kind of like her comment was oh this is just the most millennial novel ever (laughs) and I I found that I found that really interesting because Mm. I wrote it kind of in response to what I felt was just a like a a lack in millennial writing Mm. and I think it's because a very particular uh, style of writer um, and I, I, you know, I enjoy Sally Rooney's books. Like, don't get me wrong, Conversations with Friends is a fantastic book, yeah. and I really enjoyed Normal People. But there, there's a very specific type of voice which is very detached and very clinical and very mm. ironic that a lot of people have held up and said, you know, this is the millennial voice, this is the millennial experience. And I've read so many of these styles of th- these types of novels by different writers, and I don't relate to them at all. Mm. Um, like, if anything, I, I experience feeling too much. Um, and caring too much um, and grappling (laughs) with what it means to to just deal with so many emotions and sometimes it is easier to just be like you know what I'm going to (laughs) dissociate I'm going to maybe dissociation rather than apathy actually yeah I actually I completely agree yeah 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 it's that detachment almost isn't it from like I've like especially I think with Yoon's experience that kind of I'm gonna rather than deal with all of this that is happening I'm just gonna have to take a step back here yeah yeah he just shuts willfully shuts down because he can't cope with just this repeat these repeat traumas yeah um and I really like I sympathize with that so much and I think you know that that is the central question of the novel is that like people were not designed to cope with this much trauma with witnessing like this much like you know global crises like I don't think our brains are are able to process it very well and also just the fact that because capitalism is the is the current system that we live under it it gives you no time to to like reconcile your emotions like everyone talks about therapy endlessly but like can therapy kind of does therapy really give you that breathing space if you're still having to work like 12 you know 12 hours a day every single day just to like scrape by with with rent um that is always going up Mm -hmm. um and you know everything is expensive yeah yeah $50 a session for counseling but you know yeah exactly um. yeah and that's like the cheaper <laughs> the cheaper end and you know so if you're if you're fortunate enough to even have access to universal healthcare, you know the wait the wait list for therapy on say the NHS is is like what a year and a half two years or something so like it's just the fact there's just no there's no breathing space like there's no there's no way for people to grapple with collective grief and collective trauma like everyone is just brutally like propelled onwards because we're all like at the mercy of just this bottomless pit of greed Mm. um at the top (laughs) what I'm talking I'm talking about like the one percent yeah and yeah I think that's 
yeah that's sort of that's why I made kind of capital yeah that I think that's why the book is is also about capitalism because it is a book about a mental health crisis it's a book about a despair epidemic um which to me is is life under capitalism mm-hmm. um it's just you know it, it's slightly ar- allegorical allegorical or a metaphor but mm-hmm. um it is reflective of how like me and like so many other people I know feel on a day-to-day basis yeah I think you know you were just uh, mentioning like the the mental health crisis aspect of of living under capitalism and I uh, specifically loved the way that you explored mental health in this book I thought it was so well done I loved the way you looked at the way people sort of trivialize other people's struggles um the way some of the sitters experiences were sort of dismissed as choice um the whole I don't know if this is too much of a spoiler, um, but okay. the, the, <laughs> I'll edit it out if it is. <laughs> okay. But, okay, okay. But the decision in the hospitals to not what's the word they they said that they wouldn't take oh, they take wouldn't, them like, accommodate them anymore accommodate them that's the word yeah they wouldn't because accommodate they knew them anymore they were going to die yeah 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 can that be kept in yeah yeah okay. yeah I think, yeah i don't think that's too much of a spoiler yeah but why why was uh the, the theme of mental health so important to you um in this novel and specifically i guess the the sort of human ignorance in the face of a mental health crisis I think um, I think a big part of it is um, kind of a, of a reflection of I mean there's kind of there's two sides to kind of the mental health crisis and both of them I find equally interesting and one is that the language of mental health and pathology is now applied to everything like mm-hmm. to the most minute sort of interpersonal interactions in a way I find interesting but also really infuriating because like you know no one if you listen to people talk now no one's an asshole anymore like everyone's a narcissist um, <laughs> yeah or they're a psychopath you know these are these are like clinical terms um and of toxic. course like not not everyone who ever yeah they're toxic um and it's just like you know no not everyone who disagrees with you is going to be a clinical narcissist <laughs> or a sociopath or, or like you know chances are it's just someone who you don't vibe with and you Mm. don't like um and it's really weird because like no one just dislikes anyone anymore you don't hear anyone going oh he's just such a dickhead you know (laughs) can't stand that guy (laughs) um and then the kind of the flip side of it is just like I don't know anyone who who sort of isn't going through some kind of traumatic reconciliation or just trying to like grapple with um the effect of like compounding traumas or grief like grief is a huge one like not having the time or space to like really grieve and also having grief pathologized in turn like turned into a a medical process that you just kind of have to you have to, oh, you have to go through the five stages and that's super neat. And it's just not how grief manifests at all. I mean, so like, I think Andrew talks about this at one point in a university lecture, um, but also the fact that so few people truly feel like they have agency in their own lives and how damaging that is to feel like you're ultimately not in control of your own fate. You're, you're subject mm-hmm. to the, the whims of all of these systems which always seem to be in crisis and on the verge of collapse and like what that does to people's psyches. So yeah, I think like I find all of that (laughs) equally interesting to explore. Yeah, it was so powerful the way that you wrote about it. And yeah, I just found it so interesting the way that each 
character sort of deals with their own struggles you know some of them just totally ignore it like it's not a thing and then you know that causes them more damage in the long run and you see that with your own like friends and family you see the you know the people around you who is quite open in speaking about their mental health struggles and who will just shut down and be like nope feelings aren't a thing um, yeah so I yeah. really liked that you represented all those different types of people because you know that is that is how a mental health crisis ha- like occurs because so many of us are repressing things and leaving things unsaid mm. and feeling unable to express yeah. ourselves. And yeah, I just thought it was so well done. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's, it's, there's an interesting kind of dichotomy between like expression and action as well. Because one thing I've noticed, sort of especially like in our age, our generation and younger, um, and also like probably a little bit older as well, people have become a lot more comfortable expressing themselves um, because we do have access to kind of a wider variety variety of terminology to describe like mental health phenomena but then like because of because like social media is so ubiquitous and stuff I think we've got into this weird kind of constant feedback loop where people think that expression is is enough but like it's kind of like the obsession with mental health awareness it's just Mm. like oh people just need to be aware they need to be (laughs) aware more awareness no material help for anybody just aware like yeah just just people need to talk like reach out and it's just like reach out for fucking what you know there's nothing there like you can't access actual treatment it's Mm. so difficult um and like you know employers like are so like hostile to accommodating like mental health crises they're just like, yeah. oh, you know, do yoga in your spare time. Like, <laughs> oh, no, we're not going to pay you more so that you're not objectively worrying about money and housing yeah. and all of those things. But like, oh, yeah, try yoga, try meditation. And, and so, like, yeah, it's this kind of like talking is replacing a certain kind of action mm-hmm. where like what people really need to do is start demanding, demanding more from these systems that are just wholesale failing people mm-hmm. um but like to do that you'd ha- it involves taking action like it can't mm-hmm. just be talking yeah absolutely um, I find that a lot as well when when people talk about grief a lot I mean uh, listeners of the pod will know it's like a specialist subject but for me it's very much about when when someone is grieving or you are grieving or you know someone that's grieving that there is the only thing you can do in my opinion should do is offer practical help mm. there's there's nothing else like you can say I'm a, I'm a shoulder to cry on I am mm. but, but it's just words until it becomes showing up on a doorstep with food mm-hmm. or coming and washing the dishes for someone or yeah. you know going out and saying I found this that you could do that might make we could go for a walk or you know practical help is so much more important mm. sometimes than than the offer of help mm. um, yeah absolutely but you know no one wants to listen to me just talk about that for hours because <laughs> <laughs> I would <laughs> um but there is one final question that I would like I would like to ask you about and that is about music which oh, yeah. I feel like it's such an intrinsic part of this book um and uh, what I loved is in your um, in your acknowledgements, you uh, acknowledged the playlist that oh, came yeah, along with yeah. the book itself. Loved that. Uh, and it's fair to say that I have added a lot of those. Uh, to oh, that's my really cool. Because <laughs> I'm like, yes, that's totally the feeling it gives. <laughs> um, so can you tell us more about um, the role that music plays for you as a writer and the, how it affected this novel? I mean, it's, it's really hard to describe because it is just huge 
Like yeah. I can't, I can't write without the perfect. It's not even like I have a, I mean, I do have a playlist um, specific to sort of each novel, but I don't listen to it randomly. I, I write by zeroing in on one song, which perfectly encapsulates the tone of a scene or a character relationship or something, but it is one song generally. And then I just play it on repeat, like a thousand, literally hundreds of times. <laughs> so so yeah like every every one of the artists um I mentioned was a song I I got hyper fixated on and sort of used as a emotional channel to kind of write a scene um and yeah that's that's how I write pretty much every everything I've ever written has has had that and sometimes the music seems like scene appropriate and sometimes it's really not <laughs> um but yeah it's just yeah it's a method I've been using pretty much forever so yeah I, I literally can't write without music in that sense I, I know so, I know so many people that like are like I need quiet I can't possibly have anything yeah on. yeah I want access to all writers playlists from here on out I'll take nothing less <laughs> like <laughs> I mean I could I could probably send you a screenshot of of like yeah. every song on the on yes. the um are you happy please. now playlist yeah please if you want do a that. specific playlist like yes. yeah. <laughs> we absolutely do <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's basically like oh hannah's like music rex like yeah, yeah. Like, like, so let's fun. have it <laughs> so i am fully aware that somehow we've been talking already for like an hour uh, which yeah. is insane <laughs> um but i cannot uh let you go without talking about sex because oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> we, always have to we love it <laughs> uh, so one thing we've I got really capitalism really... out of the way and now we're on to like the good, <laughs> stuff. Done the good stuff we've done grief now let's do sex <laughs> <laughs> um so that's, like, that's really the book summed up in just like one bit. It's like, like we've done capitalism, we've done grief, we've done sex. Book closed. But first book You I need to change your blurb that. now. Sorry, I know, I know. I keep talking you off as well. Sorry. Change the blurb for the paperback release because yeah, it needs to be like that. that is that is a hell of a tagline. Like that would I would buy that straight away if I knew nothing else about it. (laughs) Um, So Lydia will know this all too well about me is that I love a well-written sex scene because I have been exposed to too many really cringy (laughs) sex scenes that I just, no, it makes my skin hurt. Um, And there was an oral sex scene in this book that was so hot and just I, I was literally like could not breathe I was like this is so good uh what do you feel is the best technique for writing a good sex scene because you've got it down I thought you were gonna say oral sex well if you've got that as well like what are your music recommendations any blowjob tips as well like how do you approach the pussy, you know? <laughs> um, what was the question? Oh my God, what was the question? Oh, it was, any tips for writing what's, a sex scene? Yeah, what's your best technique, Hannah? <laughs> um, my best technique for writing a sex scene. 
um okay well the song okay the song has to be the vibes you have to be immaculate you do have to get the right song first um oh this is a difficult one I actually think I, I can put this down to actually reading a lot of good a lot of good fan fiction actually and I mean like really good fan fiction and I think it's I think a lot of authors like struggle to uh, and I know I have done in the past because sex scenes are hard to write uh, it's struggling to strike a balance between like emotion um and also not using like too many clinical terms but also not be- being euphemistic and vague and i think it's because like writing sex scenes well involves it's not it doesn't feel like technical writing it's more like sensual writing so mm. it's much more about like the rhythm of the words as as much as it is about like specific word choice um but yeah i don't know i've i i think like i think it is just like not being embarrassed by it as well I think like I think what makes a lot of sex scenes needlessly bad is that authors like find sex scenes embarrassing to write mm-hmm. um and I think that's where like you know all of the weird kind of euphemisms come in that people like talk about during the bad sex <laughs> bad sex awards and stuff like that but yeah I don't know I think it's just because you know having having had access to like like fan fiction and stuff I have just been fortunate to read some very very well-written sex scenes um you know between people of all genders and so I've learned from people who you know are a lot better than me and I've used it to kind of form my own kind of style but yeah I mean it's god I mean as you can tell it's really hard to condense down into a into a technique because it's literally just practice and like a willingness to try and seek out good sex scenes, like yeah. actually well-written erotica and just yeah. kind of see what you, what you can get out of that because, because yeah, it takes practice. It's like writing action as well. Like, you know, writing scenes of extreme violence are also as difficult as writing a good sex scene. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, it is just practice and like finding the material, I guess. Amazing. Does well, that I... satisfy you? Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> the book certainly did <laughs> so good <laughs> I wrote in my notes when I was writing these questions out I'd written in my notes app um because I'll I'll make notes as I'm reading and I literally just put a page number and put horny in capital letters <laughs> so you know it's good <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean like I don't think there are enough like romantic blowjobs in fiction where like yes. I don't know it's just like it's a really nice scene as well like it's yeah. not I mean there are different like I think every sex scene in the book does have a different tone and I mm. think that scene is probably the most overtly romantic and yeah so so it is I think going to be people's favorites because the others are different are different in tone and content definitely yeah so good now before we let you go I would like you to do a quick fire of authors that have inspired you Ooh, okay um <laughs> uh Karen Thompson Walker definitely I think she does like that kind of ethereal kind of character driven dystopia really well probably Emily St. John Mandel as well uh, the, the Glass Hotel this book owes a lot to the Glass Hotel actually which I think is really? genius it's my favorite of her um books actually the Glass Hotel uh-huh. was fantastic I think also a lot of TV had an influence on this novel I think The Leftovers as a series like in tone is very similar um to this novel I mean there are various writers um on The Leftovers but yeah it's one of the instances where the TV adaptation actually I think well surpasses the book um so yeah I think they're the they're the three off the top of my head I think Ocean Wong as well yeah. Um, so good. His like sort of very poetic style of writing, and also 
um, MXTX, who is the author of um, the Chinese Dame novel, Modal Zuchu. Um, my tones are not going to be correct, but Modal Zuchu, which is the grandmaster of demonic cultivation. Like, I definitely owe a lot to like that that Dame specifically as well. Um, so yeah, they would be off the top of my head the authors that probably had the biggest hand in it amazing Fabulous. so many good racks for us led i know <laughs> it's getting longer i know so i'm i'm well aware that we have kept you over time and i'm really sorry um oh, especially okay. <laughs> as you've given up your friday night for us which is just wonderful but honestly thank you so much because um, i've loved this conversation and uh listeners you need to go and run to buy yourself are you happy now I am going to link put a link in the show notes for you to order yourself a copy um but if capitalism grief and sex isn't (laughs) isn't everything you want in a novel then I don't know what is please go buy it please let us know what you think because we're going to be shouting about this from the rooftops through the whole month of February and yeah, I'm just I'm just so excited for other people to read this. But yeah, thank you so much, um, Hannah, for coming on. Is there anywhere that our listeners can find you on social media? Um, I am um, on Instagram predominantly. I don't have a huge social media presence. Um, I have a begrudging Twitter account. Um, <laughs> but I'm probably my most active on Instagram. Perfect. Amazing. We will link all of those in the show notes. But yeah, Hannah, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, and listeners please do go buy the book please go give Hannah a follow and if you would like to um, and if you enjoyed this episode uh, please do rate review and subscribe as it helps to boost us in the charts and you can give us a follow on Instagram at pair of bookends pod and all that's left to say now is thank you Hannah and bye <laughs> bye bye all right thank you so much